You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. So good to see you this morning. My name is Sam, and I serve as one of the leaders here at the church. And it's so good to be with you this morning at Rail City Campus. And uh, so if you have a Bible this morning, would you, would you turn it to Luke chapter 2? That's where we'll kind of be camping out together today. Luke chapter 2. And uh, this morning, we're continuing this series that we've been in over the last number of weeks, if you've been here through the process, as we've been looking at uh, this series, Angels We Have Heard. And throughout the series, we've been walking through all these different encounters that pretty ordinary people have with uh, angels through the Christmas story. And specifically looking at these different encounters that happen throughout these passages of Scripture, uh, pointing towards the arrival of the King. To announce that this long-awaited Messiah that Israel has been waiting for for thousands of years has come, has arrived. And that's really what Advent, this whole season, is all about. The word Advent means arrival. Some of you thought it meant chocolate, (laughs) chocolate calendars. But it's this time that we set aside in in the church calendar each year to prepare our hearts to receive the gift of the incarnation, the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. It's this time where we stop and we, we even just wonder at the humility of God who would kind of put on flesh and who'd become human with us. We look back at his birth, but we also look forward towards the future with great anticipation of this future return. So up on the docket today, as I said earlier, is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? At CA Church, across all our services and campuses, we stand for the reading of God's Word because we believe that these words that we're about to read and hear together today are the most important words that you're going to hear, more important than anything I'm going to say otherwise. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, here's what it says. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over the flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I'll bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared to the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at the shepherds and all that they said. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which had, just, which had been just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. You can take a seat, and then we'll unpack these words together. Okay, well, I, I just want to take a moment this morning and kind of set the stage for what exactly it is that we just heard read, what was just read to us just now, especially who these night shift workers are that are camped out in, in a little field outside of Bethlehem watching their flock of sheep. 
See, I find that we, we've sort of romanticized the Christmas story with, with all of our, our Christmas carols and our little nativity scenes. When I was uh, in Israel just a few weeks ago, has Ken been talking about Israel a lot? <laughs> we were just in Israel together. And uh, one of the things, the keepsakes that I brought back was this cute little nativity scene. It's this beautiful olive wood nativity scene. It's super cute. Really, it's, it's perfect. And I think sometimes when we think of the Christmas story, we think of these little nativity scenes or even like a hallmark version of the story. You know, this, this neat little tidy stable. Jesus is quietly lying on this bed of hay. There's this choir of angels, hundreds of angels surrounding the stable, singing in four-part harmony or six-part harmony. Mary has this kind of golden glow around her head. She's smiling over at Joseph. <laughs> as these kind of well-groomed shepherds kind of enter the scene. Does that resemble anyone's kind of thoughts of recalling the Christmas story? But one thing that struck me when we were in Israel just a few weeks ago is the earthiness of some of these stories. You know, when we're so far removed from the land and the culture, it's easy to read these narratives and almost think of them like, uh, like, a, like a fairy tale. It's easy to almost forget that these were actually real people that we're reading about. Humans, just like us. They were people with their own fears, with their own doubts, with their own challenges. And, and when I stood in some of those places in Israel and saw the street signs for Bethlehem, that was so weird to see these street signs to these places that I'd read about all my life. It all started to kind of come to life in this 3D had so much depth and meaning to the stories that I'd heard all my life. See, Bethlehem is not a place like Hogwarts or Narnia. It's a real place with real people. And, and so back to this story of the men out in a field in Luke chapter 2, history tells us that first century shepherds were, were sorry, first century shepherds, it was almost like a despised role in society. They weren't these kind of clean-cut, harp-playing, homeschooled teenagers. These were kind of like gruff, social rejects and outcasts. At one time in history, shepherding was, was this kind of prestigious role within the people of God. Shepherding was a good family business. And David, who was the greatest king in all of Israel's history, was referred to as a shepherd. Even God himself in one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 23, was referred to as a shepherd. But by the time you get to the first century... Uh, by the time they were thought of as dirty or unsafe, the kind of people who became shepherds were the kind of people who couldn't get a job doing anything else. Maybe because of their past or, or because of their history, because of their background. Maybe it was a crime that they committed. And yet these were the first people to hear the good news of the story of Christmas. Why is that important? Well, consistently throughout the story of God, we see that God reveals himself and even often chooses to use the unimpressive the kind of culturally cast outs of society, the ones who others have written off. And that's what we see happening right here in the Christmas story. The first people to be told about the Messiah's arrivals was the shepherds. See, the coming of Jesus was for everyone. It was for all people, as the angels would say, the rich and the poor, the healthy and the sick, the popular and the unpopular. But in this moment, in revealing himself to first century shepherds, God seems to be going out of his way to underline the fact that specifically for those as well who assume they wouldn't be invited. I was recently invited to a wedding in Hawaii, a super kind of small elite wedding in, uh, in Maui. And uh, when I saw that these friends were, were getting married, I was really excited for them. But these are friends that I hadn't seen in a super long time. We were friends, really good friends, maybe five, six, seven years ago. 
And then um, I hadn't seen them for a long time. Lives, nothing bad happened or anything, but lives had just kind of gone separate ways. Hadn't seen them for a while. So when I saw their announcement that they were getting engaged and then that they were doing this beautiful wedding in paradise, I was pumped, but I was like, there's no way I'm going to be invited to this. And then I got the invitation. And I was like, what? Out of everyone you could invite to this 25-person wedding in Hawaii, you want me to be there? And I feel like that maybe would have been what the shepherds felt like. See, picture it with me. They were out in the middle of this dark field. It was a night just like every other night. I imagine there's crickets that were croaking. Or what's that sound that crickets make? Chirping. Crickets were chirping. <laughs> the stars were kind of shining brightly. Maybe there's mosquitoes that are kind of hitting them and they're, you know, trying to, to, trying to get rid of them as they're biting them. And the shepherds were trying to stay awake and watch for bears or wolves or, or anything that could damage or hurt their sheep. And as they're waiting for the sun to kind of peek up, over the mountains to just provide a little bit of light and warmth. Maybe it's three or four more hours till the, till the sun will come out. They're watching over their sheep. They're trying to proactively spot for any danger. Truthfully, it's the same thing that they did last night and the night before that and the night before that. Just a regular monotonous night in the life of a shepherd. And then suddenly, the text says, an angel of the Lord appears to them. And I wonder even as they looked and saw the angels, if they were looking behind them, like, are they talking to us? Like, why are they coming here to this moment to talk to us? First century shepherds, no one intentionally talks to us. But he is talking to them. And what does he say? He says, don't be afraid. Some translations say, fear not. And here's something that's kind of interesting. At every major turning point, and Cam's talked about a number of them over the last few weeks, at every major turning point in the Christmas story, an angel shows up. Four times, the angel suddenly appears to, to Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph, and then right here to the shepherds. Four times, the angel steps forward and speaks. And each time, the angel begins with, with what? Don't be afraid. Why? Well, well, one reason might be that, uh, that he was quite terrifying looking, you know. Remember, this isn't like a, a cute little chubby cherub angel. This is like a warrior angel. Most scholars believe that the angel that kind of shows up throughout the Christmas story is Michael the archangel, who's described as this courageous warrior angel, a champion of justice. And so maybe one of the reasons he starts with fear not is because he looks quite scary. Maybe that's part of it. But, but I think maybe bigger than that, he starts with those words, don't be afraid or fear not. Because this idea of, of fear, of not fearing, of not being afraid is a major exhortation of the Christmas story. God is doing something in the birth of Jesus that addresses our fears. God is doing something in the birth of Jesus that addresses each of our fears and this phrase, fear not, or, or don't be afraid, it's not only found in the Christmas story, though it is multiple times over, but it's actually 365 times throughout Scripture. Because fear is something that every single human deals with at some level. All of our fears are different, and we have different degrees of fear. But this wrestle with fear and anxiety and stress, it's part of the human condition. It's actually maybe even part of what it means to be alive. And I was thinking of this, this uh, announcement from the angels to fear not or not to be afraid. And like, I love the sound of that. And I love the idea and the sentiment. But how do you actually do that? How do you actually not be afraid? You know, it, it, is it by trying really hard not to be afraid? Like willing yourself to not fear? 
seems a lot easier said than done. Like, don't be afraid. Okay, I won't. It's never worked for me. There's a term that psychologists use that's actually called experiential avoidance. And and here's the general idea of experiential avoidance. As humans, we tend to to try really hard to avoid our inner self, our inner experience, especially when it's things like unpleasant thoughts or emotions or memories or desires or fears. We try to suppress those things or push them down, push them away as to not experience them. We try to deny or avoid our experiences in hopes maybe to feel better. But the problem with that strategy is that it rarely, if ever, works. And it's for a very distinct reason. Researchers have found that, for example, if you get a group of people together and you tell them, don't think about a yellow Jeep, just don't think about it, okay? Try really hard not to think about it. The amount of people in the group who will start to think about a yellow Jeep increases like exponentially. And even when you're trying really hard not to think about it, and then even after the exercise is over, That thought of the yellow Jeep, after you spent some time trying really hard not to think about the yellow Jeep, will keep popping up in your head over and over again. And you think, well, maybe that's just because you reminded us about a yellow Jeep, we weren't thinking about it before, now we're thinking about it, that's why. But that's actually not the reason. When subjects in the experience were just reminded about a yellow Jeep, it was kind of this kind of fleeting thought. They thought about it for a moment as it was being described, as they thought about the wheels and what it looked like. And then when they were done talking about it, it just kind of swept away. The thought increased like a beach ball popping up over and over again when they actually tried not to think about it, when they tried to suppress it. The reason is that in order to think this thought, don't think about a yellow Jeep, are you tired of talking about a yellow Jeep yet? You have to think about a yellow Jeep in order to think about not thinking about it. So the very intent of suppressing it carries that thought along with you. And that's not only true of a yellow Jeep, but it's also true of our own thoughts and fears. As long as you think, don't think about X, you're thinking about X. And X is in your mind. In other words, you can't not be afraid by trying really hard not to be afraid. Part of the process of dealing with your fears is actually acknowledging them. Acknowledging what you're feeling. I'm scared right now. I'm fearful. I'm struggling. I'm anxious. And then oftentimes, even with the help of a a professional, a psychologist or a counselor, over time, replacing those fears with what's true. So then why does the angel suggest that the shepherds cannot be afraid? It's because of what's true. It's because of this incredibly good news that they're about to hear. Good news that will change the entire trajectory of their lives. Good news that will put even their darkest fears into perspective. He says, today, in a town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then reframing our fears based on what's true, by meditating on what is actually real and right and good. And so the reason that the shepherds can trade their fear for peace, the reason they cannot be afraid, because the good news that the angel just spoke to them that had great implications for their lives and, and it put all their fears into perspective. The Messiah's been born. The one who's going to make everything that's wrong with the world right. The fixer. The one who's going to put the world back together again the way it was meant to be. Their rescuer is here. And the good news that was being announced to them wasn't just for all people. Yes, it was. But it was also for them personally. You know, Pastor David often says these words. He says, God's not just a God of generalities. He's a God of specifics. That he doesn't just love the whole world, the whole cosmos, but he actually loves you individually as a person. 
And that's what's being communicated here. The Savior has been born to you. Do you notice how many times the word you comes up in that kind of exhortation, announcement from the angels? It says, I bring you, shepherds, good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in this town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This is a sign to you. When you go and see him later, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Earlier this year, um, the government of BC announced, and maybe some of you know this, that families in BC would be eligible for what they're calling $10 a day daycare. And uh, I'm sure in this room, there's a number of different perspectives on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. This is not a political statement, okay? But when I first heard about this announcement that there was this $10 a day daycare, I read about it, and uh, I didn't really think much about it. I thought, oh, you know, I kind of pondered it a little bit. I wonder what that's going to mean for our taxes. I wonder if it's really going to be as good as they say it's going to be. Is this actually going to happen? Are they just over-promising? But but it wasn't really a big thought. It was just kind of like a headline on a Wednesday morning that I read over and kind of skipped and moved along until our daycare messaged us with how much we were going to be saving once they roll out this $10 day daycare. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. This is now I started telling everyone I knew about this $10 day daycare that was rolling out. I had this radically different response when I realized that the child subsidy plan wasn't just for families in BC, but that it was actually for me, that I was included in this. And that's what we see happening right here in this story. But on this much grander degree, the angel's saying, you don't have to fear because, because God sees you individually. Because the Messiah has come not just for the social elites or for those who are religious enough or for, for the ones that have it all together and obey the Torah. The good news for the shepherds wasn't only that, that God was restoring the entire cosmos, though he was, but that he saw them, that he had come for them. Today in a town of David, a Savior has been born for you. You're included in this promise of peace. You don't have to fear because Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, has sent this rescuer. He sent a fixer, this Messiah, who will make everything that's wrong with the world right. You don't have to fear anymore. You're not alone. You've never been alone. And that's also true of us today. At Christmas, this long-awaited one, the Prince of Peace, as the prophet Isaiah talks about him, he sees us. He sees us individually, and he's come to address our fears, fear of the unknown, fear of what tomorrow will bring, fear of death, fear of not measuring up, not being enough, fear of rejection, fear of failure. See, the incarnation is this announcement that even the worst thing that happens to us, the worst experiences we have won't be the last thing. Because of Jesus, for the Christian, the last thing that we have to look forward to is light and life and love. Like the angel saying to the shepherds, you've written yourself out of the Christmas story, the story of God. You thought you were unimportant, that God had forgotten you, but he hasn't. He's come in the form of this little baby, and he's here to rescue you from this horrible mess you're in. And he's inviting you to participate in his story. And then how do they respond? After they experience this profound moment, after they experience the choir of angels, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to whom his favor rests, once this Christmas Eve special is over, what do they do? They go. They went to Jesus. Look at verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has told us about. The song finishes. The sky kind of blacks out, and the shepherds go. 
probably shaking and trembling from what they just experienced. And they're looking for this baby in a manger. Remember, it's still dark out. It's the middle of the night. It's, it's, there's no street lights. Maybe they have a little torch that they have that's guiding them through. But the text says they hurried off. I imagine they're running through the field. They're probably stumbling over pivots in the road and stones and rocks. But they go to find this baby that's been born that's about to change the world. And I noticed as I was reading that, that there's actually this stark contrast between the way that the shepherds uh, kind of engage with the news that they hear and the way that the religious leaders do when they hear about the good news from the magi, the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. They hear the magi, or sorry, the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they hear from the magi that the king, the Messiah, has been born, and they know exactly where he's supposed to be born. They actually tell the magi exactly where to look in order to find this Messiah. They knew all the prophecies of old, and, and they don't bother to check it out themselves. Why is there such a stark contrast between the way that the shepherds kind of respond to the news and the response from these religious leaders in Jerusalem? I think it's because the, the shepherds recognize their need for a savior. See, if this was true, it would absolutely change everything. If God really did send a messenger, or sorry, send a Messiah, the Redeemer, the one who'd restore this broken world, that would do away with their fears, then it was worth checking every stable in Bethlehem, every feeding trough to find this kid. The shepherds go while the religious leaders stay. In, uh, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus says it like this later on in his life. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. See, the shepherds knew they didn't have it all together. They knew that their life was a mess. They had nothing to lose. The world was broken and it needed someone to fix it. And, and the angel showed up and announced that their fears could be completely done away with. That their lives had purpose because of Jesus, because he had come. And the shepherds go to Jesus. And we actually don't know how long it took them to find him. They went and they searched, and it could have been a couple hours, could have been many hours, checking various stables throughout Bethlehem, but eventually they find him. They find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And in verse 17, it says, When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. They shared the news. They couldn't keep quiet. Everything was just as the angel had told them. They found this baby in the manger. They found the promised Messiah. The shepherds became the first ever New Testament evangelists. They were the first people to spread the good news that Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, had arrived. When, when I experience uh, a new product, or I experience amazing customer service, or a great new restaurant, I can't shut up about it. I just tell everyone I know when I experience something, and I want everyone else to experience it too. Um, I, was, I was talking about this at Mariner a few weeks ago, and one of my friends who's a jeweler was there who had bought a, an engagement ring for my wife. And he said, that's absolutely true. After you bought the ring and had this great experience, you sent me like 25 other customers because you just kept talking about it and talking about it. And, and see, that's so true of the shepherds in this moment. They experience this good news, this, this crazy experience that the king has come. They saw it with their own eyes, and then they start telling everyone about it. Can I just say, if theological depth was a prerequisite for evangelism, then first century shepherds were the worst people for God to have chosen. They didn't know anything. It's unlikely that they even knew the prophecies of old that led to this moment. All they knew is what they saw. They knew what they experienced, and they would tell anyone they could who would listen. And I wonder who Jesus might be calling us to share with our experiences 
this Christmas, who he might be kind of encouraging us or leading us to share our story with. And you don't need to exegete a passage of scripture. You don't need to know all the answers. Just tell your story, what Jesus has done in your life. Why do you follow him? Share that and see if God doesn't use it in some miraculous way. Two, two weeks ago at, at Mariner, we had uh, some baptisms. And I think a few weeks before that, we had baptisms at Old Orchard. Kim got baptized, which is so, so cool. Um, but as I was hearing these baptism stories a few weeks ago, I was just so incredibly moved. I don't think there was a dry eye in the place, although I was in the front row, so there could have been dry eyes, but I was weeping like a baby. And, and it's because there's power when people share their stories, when people share of what God has done in their lives. I felt like giving my whole life to Jesus a second time because it was just so powerful. The shepherds go to Jesus and then they share what he's done with them. They share what they've experienced. And then lastly, they worship. Verse 20 says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which had just been as they had been told. I just imagine them returning to the field that morning. Maybe they're just laughing their heads off. Like, dude, what just happened? It's like, I don't know, man, but that was crazy. Maybe they just start bursting into songs as they're there with their sheep in the morning, just worship songs all throughout the day, lifting their voices. Maybe when they make eye contact across the field, they just start to laugh. Like, this is crazy. You saw it too, right? I'm not crazy. Like, there were, there were angels, and then we went and saw Jesus, and then maybe the other one's like, you know, I, I saw Jesus. His cheeks were just so chubby. I just wanted to, to squeeze them. He's like, dude, he's the Messiah. Stop. This is this crazy moment as there's so much joy, and then there's, they, they, they worship. And, and I was thinking, worship is just such a natural response when we encounter Jesus. Do you notice that? Like, have you ever been filled with so much love for God that all you can do is, is, is sing or, or tell him of his goodness? Or have you ever been frustrated? I found myself in this place sometimes where I just, I feel like I can't fully express the depth of my love to God. Like my vocabulary doesn't seem broad enough or there's even been times in services where we've been worshiping together and I feel like I can't raise my hands high enough or sing loud enough to show him how much I love him as I'm just washed over with the love of the Father. I experience him and and I want to respond. I want to give my heart to him. I want to sing louder. I want to raise my hands. I want to do whatever I can to tell him, God, you are so good. God, you are here. When the shepherds experience the manger, they're so moved to worship. And they return home, and in a lot of ways they return the same. But also they return so different. See, in some regards, nothing had changed. They still go back to their flock. They're still on the night shift. They still had the same circumstances. They were still first century shepherds who were misunderstood and despised by so many. Everything was the same, and yet, at the same time, Nothing was the same. Everything was different. Their lives now had purpose. Their ordinary lives didn't seem as as ordinary anymore. Their fears had vanished. Their hopes were renewed because of this little baby born in a feeding trough in backcountry Bethlehem. So as we move towards the close this morning, let me just ask you this. What do we do with this Christmas story? What do we do with this encounter that the shepherds have with the angels? With this encounter that the shepherds have with Jesus? Now, I wonder if, just as as the angelic messenger said to the shepherds, I wonder if Jesus this morning would want to say to us, don't be afraid. I've come to give you peace. 
Have you ever seen the, the Charlie Brown Christmas movie? The Christmas special? There's this moment when Linus, uh, he's telling his part of the Christmas story. And he brought up his blanket. I brought this little cloth with me. He brought up his blanket. It's actually a blanket he's been carrying with him pretty much the entire movie. It's a security blanket. And he's holding his security blanket. And he says, you know, there were shepherds in the field that night. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were afraid. And he says, and the angel of the Lord said to them, fear not. And as he says those words, fear not. He actually drops his security blanket. He drops the blanket. Do you remember that moment? If you don't, go back and watch it again. But he drops his blanket because when you listen to the Christmas story, the coming of Jesus, God with us, you realize that you don't need to be afraid. That you can let go of whatever it is that you're carrying with you. Whatever it is that you're finding kind of temporary security in, you can drop it. You can let go of it because Jesus has come. Because in the light of Emmanuel, God with us, things that seem so scary and stressful and overwhelming don't seem that way anymore. And it doesn't mean that they don't exist. It doesn't mean that instantly our our problems vanish before our eyes. But because of Emmanuel, because Jesus came, we can have peace even through the darkest of situations. So if you're comfortable with it right now, would you just close your eyes in this moment? All across this room. And, and I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what could be causing you anxiety or fear. It's possible that there's people in this room facing really, really difficult circumstances. Maybe health-wise, physically or, or mentally, emotionally. Maybe financially, relationally. Maybe stuff going on internally. God is able to meet you in that, in exactly what you're going through. Nothing is impossible for the God who comes to us at Christmas. And as he did with the angels, I want, I want, to hear, I want you to hear him saying to you this morning, I see you. I came to earth. I was born in a manger for you. Maybe take a moment right now and name your own fears. Not avoiding it or pretending that it doesn't exist. Actually allowing your own fears right now to surface. What are you afraid of? Or maybe those words seem too strong. But what's making you anxious in this moment? What are you stressed about? What's making you feel just a little uneasy this morning? It could be fear of failure. That's a big one for me, fear of failure. Maybe it's fear of being alone. Maybe it's fear of the financial situation that's ahead of you. Maybe there's this stressful assignment that you, you have going on at work that has just caused so much anxiety and stress. Maybe your fear is related to your children, their health, their well-being, maybe their soul. Maybe they've been wandering. Be your future. Deciding on education pathways or what you should do next. Finding an affordable place to rent. Maybe it's your marriage. It it didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to. But just take a moment right now in the quietness of this moment. Just name your own fears quietly in this moment before God. What are you afraid of? Be anxious. 
and then following the example of the shepherds in your mind with your eyes still closed, I want you to imagine going to Jesus in this moment, kneeling at the foot of the manger, and just laying your fears before him, dropping them like Linus dropped his blanket. And would you hear him say, I'm with you. You don't need to be afraid. I see you. I see what you're walking through. Embrace my peace. You can open your eyes. You know, as you go from this place in just a few moments and you go into your world, whatever may come, whatever it looks like, you know, in one sense, likely you're going to go into exactly the same situation that you came from this morning. But in another sense, my prayer for you this morning is that you would go with this renewed perspective that because Jesus came, because he's with you, that that we have hope so much greater than the situation that's in front of us. Amen? And Jesus is with you this morning. But hey, the story doesn't end with, with a baby in a manger at Christmas. Scripture tells us that Jesus would grow up, that he would love, and he would serve, and he'd heal, and he'd show us what it looks like to truly be human, and then he would die. He would die on a cross for our sins, three days later, rising from the dead, and in so doing, he would conquer Satan's sin and death once and for all. And so right now, we're going to move into a time of communion and remembering this life that Jesus lived, this death that he paid for us on the cross. So Ben, if you want to come forward and prepare to lead us in worship in just a moment. But communion is something that Jesus himself commanded us to do, taught us to do when he walked the earth. And when he was sitting around the dinner table the night before he was going to go to the cross, he was sitting around with a bunch of his friends and he gave them these instructions. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup after supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so communion is one of these really interesting things that that plots us between the two advents. The first coming of Jesus as a baby that we just spent the last half hour talking about and his second coming when he returns for all of us to to bring us to glory. It's, It's this moment each week that we intentionally pause and we remember the great sacrifice that Jesus paid for our sins. And so as we just read, as Jesus described in 1 Corinthians, the bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice, in our case, represents the blood that was shed for us on the cross that we could live. And so if you're here today, whether you're a member or part of CA Church or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you said yes to following him, surrendered your life to him, we encourage you, come, be part of this sacrament with us. Take the bread and the juice, participate as family of God. Um, If you're here today, and this is the first time you've heard about this Jesus that I was talking about, but you're intrigued. You're like, no, I I think I actually want to follow him. Then I would encourage you in this moment as an act of faith, do come and join us as an act of saying, you know what? I'm in. I want to follow this Jesus. I'm giving my life to you. Then I'd say, if you're here and 
and, and you're a skeptic, you're not really sure what you think about this whole Jesus thing yet, first of all, I want to say we're so glad that you would choose to kind of give your Sunday morning to coming and gathering with us. You're so welcome here. But you could probably just sit this one out. It's not going to mean too much to you anyways. And so here's really practically how this will look. Um, Val and Rob are right here with the elements, with the bread and the juice. And so you kind of come up when you feel ready as the band leads us in singing. Come up and you can grab it and you can return to your seat. We're not going to take it all at the same time. So as we sing, as we worship, as you feel that or as you want to, you can take those elements, remembering the bread, the body of Christ, the juice, the blood of Christ that was given for us so that we can live. Okay? Awesome. We'll sing and worship and participate together. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.